you have a Bible this morning and you'll read with us, we're going to take a reading from the book of Job, chapter 42. The book of Job, chapter 42. We're going to read the first six verses of that chapter and then skip down to verse 12 and read to the end of the chapter. We're just going to try to focus on, expedite our reading a little bit. Job, chapter 42. We'll begin reading in verse 1. It says this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understand not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Verse 4. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare it thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Keazia, and the name of the third Karen Hepach, and all the land where, where no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren." After this lived Job in hundred and forty years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died, being old and full of days. I'll conclude our reading this morning. Forgive some of the pronunciation mistakes that I may have made. Um, But I'd like to focus in on our verse today, and we'll talk about some of this context, uh, hopefully in in a few minutes. Uh, But we're going to take an emphasis this morning on verse 2 of our scripture reading where it says this, just as Job answering the Lord, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. The title of our message this morning is The Sovereignty of God. The Sovereignty of God. Now, I don't want you to be scared by a big word. If you're a younger person, you say, what in the world does that mean? Um, this, simply, the, the word sovereignty means all power, all powerful, supreme being or power. And so we're talking about the supremacy or the greatness, the superiority of God's power today. Um, this scripture text comes within a context that we'll briefly explain But, as most of you know, Job was a man who suffered great afflictions. Unspeakable, unimaginable afflictions that if you and I were afflicted with one of these, and certainly some of you have, it can become all-consuming. If you lose one child to death, imagine losing all of your children to death. Um, If you lose in the stock market a few thousand dollars or 20 or 30 percent of your investment, Imagine losing all of your investment. Now imagine those things happening on the same day. And then getting sick. And then your wife saying, just curse God and die. Um, The bounds of his agony are just unimaginable when we read the beginning of this story. And to come and make things worse, he has friends that come. And I'm not sure what their intention was. If it was to encourage him, they did a poor job. uh, Because they come and they just make him feel even worse by falsely accusing him. Unknowingly falsely accusing him. Saying, it must be your sin. You've got some secret sin and this is why God is buffeting you the way that he is. And Job struggles throughout this book to understand why. Why is this happening to me? Now, I don't think as we read the book of Job that his struggle was what was happening as much as why is this happening? There is the strange 
consolation that we as human beings find when we find the purpose in the suffering. And it helps alleviate a lot of stress to the mind when we know, okay, here's why I'm struggling. Here's the cause of the affliction that I'm going through. And Job sought that. But when you added his ignorance of why he was suffering, with God's inaction, God didn't tell him. And God did not alleviate his suffering. God just remained silent. Of all the things that Job went through, that had to probably be the worst. Is because here you're calling to God, you're pleading with Him, and He doesn't respond. And your suffering goes down in the um, eons of, 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 or or the, the records of human suffering, perhaps greater than any other, and yet God does not give you reason. Job begins to question God. Why is this happening? Job begins to doubt who God is. And so God in chapter 38 gives quite the response to Job. And he does it in the forms of questions. He begins his response to Job by saying, basically, put on your big board britches because I'm going to give you an answer. He basically says, and you can go read it for yourself in chapter 38, stand up like a man and answer what I'm about to ask you. If you're going to question who I am, you need to be prepared to give a response to some of these questions. And so God levies at Job over the course of three chapters, these unbelievable questions that at the core of them, they're rhetorical questions. And at the core of them, is him saying, for example, where were you whenever I hung the stars, when I told the, the, the shoreline, to, the water to stop at the shoreline? How many times have you done these series of miraculous things? And he goes through all of this list of questions and he basically asks Job, where was your understanding in all this? Where was your power in order to do this? And behind every question is the understanding that God indeed has the power over all of those things. It's a sort of reminder in the way that it is framed what Job is and his limitations and who God is and his lack of limitations. Job 42 is Job's response. He says, what was I thinking? I, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I should never have done this in this way. This morning, in the same pattern that we see here, I believe that oftentimes we're compelled to think in the same fallen way that, that Job has. And that is, when we see situations that need a remedy... My mind is not really fixed upon the natural world, but more of the spiritual world. When we see things in our own lives where we want so desperately God's intervention, I think of, as I look out over many of you, I can, um, I can think of, over the last number of months, requests that have been made of a spiritual nature, concern that has been expressed over spiritual things and eternal things about the souls of people, about the lives of those family members that you have that are not in line with God's word, all of those things. And we go to God and we seek a remedy and we seek help. And then God remains silent. And so we double down our efforts And we have special prayer meetings and we have special revival services and our hearts get stirred in a unique way and we double down our efforts to pray and then again we see no perceivable change in the circumstance, no uh, solution or no uh, intervention perceivably by God and what he has done. It can cause us to then begin to skew our, our imagination of who God is. We begin unintentionally, perhaps, to view him as less than who he really is. And this morning, my desire is to bring before you the sovereignty of God. God's limitless power. 
There is no, and I'm going to say a lot of things this morning that you already know, but I want to remind us this morning and re-inspire and renew in your mind that God is truly boundless. Perhaps our fallen minds and the culture at large has projected an image of God that he is merely the the opposite of the forces of darkness and Satan. That he is, yes, he's the side of good, the angel on the shoulder that speaks good things into our ears. Perhaps he has a slightly superior power to the, to the dark side and we know of Satan's power and the demonic forces and the, the reach and we see the influence that he has. And in our minds, we might unintentionally think of God as this slightly superior side of good. Take that image and throw it away. Here's another way that we can frame God. We take all the best qualities of man. So we see somebody who is very intelligent. We'll say Stephen Hawking. Someone who is known for their insane intelligence. Einstein. We say, okay, that's, that, that's the picture. That's the personification of intelligence. Now I'm going to imagine God way above that. You think of somebody strong. Samson in the Bible had hair where his strength lies. And you say, okay, God's strength, if we again personify that hair, the hair his hair goes a, lot, a mile long. Unlimited strength. And we find something that we try to base these qualities and attributes of God upon and just raise it a little bit. Say, God is just a little more than that. Again, take that and throw it away. Those creations in our minds unintentionally put limits on the vast, boundless nature of who God is. First thing is God's nature is boundless. His nature is boundless. What does that even mean? Well, sometimes we use a word to describe a world leader. We'll say they're a sovereign. That's a term that used to be used a lot more than it is now. But we would say this person is a sovereign. What it means is that that person has complete and total power over the place that they rule. And yet, even when we use that term, we understand that that term, because it's being applied to finite creatures, has limited meaning. For example, I can know about that person that though they might have all government power, all economic power, all military power in their nation, I know that every night they have to go to sleep. Because their body gets tired. I know that they have to have good health. I know they have to have food and water and oxygen. I know a number of things. And so even when I apply this term to a human being and I say, this person has a whole lot of power. They're a sovereign in their nation. That person is still beset with a finite nature, which lessens the power that they have. But let's consider God for a moment. God is self-existent. And self-sufficient. What that means is he doesn't depend on anything. Nothing does God depend on. He doesn't need water. He does not hunger. He does not thirst. He does not need people to love him. To function. He never gets ill. He never gets sleepy and tired. God is at all times, you've met people before who you may have great regard for. You might have a regard for their intelligence or their personality or whatever the attribute of them that you highly regard. And yet, truth be told, there are moments in time where you see that person and they're not at 100%. One of the most painful things to see when you regard somebody highly is when nature begins to take its course and their normal faculties and strength begin to decline and it causes you pain because especially if that person was well put together and strong and and dependable and didn't really need a lot but seemed self-sustaining, then when you see that person begin to decline, it begins to really uh, just, just break your heart because you say, you know, that person's always been so strong and now they're falling. God never does that. God is never 
busy. God is never distracted. God's nature is boundless. He's, he's, one of the most amazing things about God is he's omnipresent. Now think about that for a minute. So we have, even again, in these powerful people that have great authority on earth, they're limited by time, location, knowledge of what's going on in the world. God is everywhere all at one time. Think about that. He's here with us. He's over at Fairview at Woodburn. He's in China where people are sleeping. He's all over the world. He's at the depths of the ocean. Yesterday, as I was preparing for this message, I began to look a little bit about astronomy, and I began to learn that just in our solar system, there are, or in our galaxy, rather, there are 100 billion planets. Do you know how many galaxies there are? Estimated between 100 and 200 billion galaxies. Now, those are just numbers to us, right? We, we can't even... We're so limited in our capacity to reason that those things are just numbers. But if you really begin to break down what that means, it is mind-boggling. And God is at every one. All of those places, God is. The universe is supposedly expanding. I don't even, I don't even know how to comprehend that. Expanding into what? When you get to the very edge... Where is it going? Like, what is it taking up if it, I don't get that. God is in all those places. God's nature is boundless. We see in the life of Jesus, we see all throughout the scriptures, the boundlessness of his nature. You know, I've often thought of the miracles that take place throughout the scripture. And, and though I understand that the spiritual implications of those things are the most important things, I've always been very intrigued by the natural part of it still. Like when, when Moses was walking across the Red Sea, how did the ground get dry? How did it instantly dry up? What did God do to that to cause it to just turn dry? What did he do? How did he Just hold it there. How did he suspend the laws of gravity and say, you know what? On this strip of the Red Sea, the laws of gravity have no power. I'm going to wash this up. I'm going to hold it there as a wall. I'm going to allow millions of people to cross over on dry ground. And just with the spoken voice or with the thought, I'm going to call all of it to crashing down the moment I say so. See, you and I, we, we have these laws of physics and biology and chemistry. And when those things are violated, it tends to be bad things happen. Or we say that's a miracle. But do you recognize from God's vantage point there are no miracles? Because his nature is transcendent above our little physical properties and rules. Or what about when Jesus, after his resurrection, just appeared? Like he would be in a, the apostles would be in a room, they're, they're, they're cowering down, they're afraid of what's going to happen. Their leader, their fearless leader has just died, and, and they've been meeting with him, and they've been following him, and they're confounded at what to do. And then all of a sudden in the room, Jesus is there. He didn't walk in the door, he didn't crawl through a window, he didn't come through the roof, he just appeared. Or remember the road to Emmaus? What is it, Luke 24, I believe it is? In Luke 24, those men are walking with Jesus and they're walking and they're talking about him and then they, they know that, that it's the Lord. It comes to them. They recognize him for just a moment. Now, again, here's another part of his boundless nature. He knew what their thoughts were as openly as if they had already spoken them. Like one of the limitations that we have in our physical world is I have no idea what you all are thinking. And unless you open your mouth or make a facial expression where I can kind of get the gist of what you're thinking, there's no way that I can know what's going on in your mind. And yet to God, your thoughts are not somehow concealed within this thought process that's not expressed. To him, those boundaries are eliminated. He knows what you're thinking regardless of how you try to conceal them. The miracles 
are indicative of just God's, he's not limited by anything. Here's another, another thing to consider. Nothing is hard for him. Hard and easy don't exist. It's as easy for him to hold a galaxy in his hand as it is a pebble. He doesn't say, I'm really going to have to try hard on this one. When he sees a problem in people's lives, he sees somebody whose body is riddled with cancer or sickness, and they've been that way for 25 or 30 years. And we find in the scriptures example of this. In John chapter 5, I believe it is, the man at the pool of Bethesda for 37 years that had this ailment. God didn't say when Jesus came there to the fountain, say, you know, it's been 37 years. He's done everything he could. He went to all these doctors, and I don't know how I'm going to figure this one out. No, he didn't worry at all. He didn't say this is a tough case. You know, going with Dr. Collins overseas, there was a couple of times where he met some people and, and, and in private he'd say, that's a, it's really hard. I don't know exactly what to do. I don't know exactly what the problem is. God never looks at a situation and says, oh man, I don't know how I'm going to figure this one out. What about the spiritual realm of those things, spiritual side of those things? You know, God sees a broken heart, or excuse me, he sees a hardened heart. And he never says, man, how can I break that heart? You know, there are situations that you get, become privy to. And you see a a situation, perhaps a, a family situation, and it's just messed up. You know, it's just, I'm a fixer by nature. I love to just fix. And there have been times where I'll sit down to counsel somebody and they start dumping out the complexities of the situation. And as they're in the middle of it, I say, whew, I have no idea. That's what I'm thinking. Or I'm thinking, I just don't see a way that this can be salvaged. You know, God never does that. God is never confronted by as broken as homes might be. When he came to the woman there in John chapter 4, and she had been married all these times, and she was living with the man that she shouldn't have been living with, and she's an outcast of society, and she's a Samaritan. He's got all these things, and you start adding layer of layer of uh, uh, baggage to her life. God never, when Jesus shows up there, I don't think Jesus' thoughts were, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do here. Rather, what I think happened was this. As they were traveling, he said, we must needs go through Samaria. He was determined to meet this broken woman where she was at because what he knew is my ability to help her is not at all affected by the circumstances of her life because I am all powerful. God is not because of our trivial from a from a god's vantage point our problems are are pebbles amongst this galaxy of worlds god is never strained by your problems god never has to figure things out i'm glad that i serve a god who is boundless in power I mean, imagine if I went to God like those men and, uh, when, they were, when Elijah was going and contesting with these men of Baal. And remember, as they're calling out to their God and they're trying to do everything they can to get his attention, they're cutting themselves and they're all, doing all these, these things in order to, to hope that their God will come and show his power. Oh, and I love the contrast of what Elijah does. He pours a whole bunch of water. He makes it more difficult for his God from a human vantage point. He wants to exalt his God above all the gods that can be called a God. And so he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make this really tough. And I'm going to show you that for the Lord, there's nothing too hard. And so he digs a trench and he pours water all over it. Now, I've had bad luck this year uh, in, in my fireplace because I got wet w- wood. And uh, I don't know if it's called determined or stubborn, but whatever it is, I was going to get that wood on fire. Don't matter how many hours I was there, I was going to do it. Well, guess what? I failed, right? Predictably failed. Not once. I'm too stubborn to just try once. Multiple times. I'm going to get that wood on fire, and I couldn't. 
So I have this, this touchstone to what Elijah does. And what does God do? Oh, he sends fire down from heaven and it consumes every last drop of that water. And God was trying to demonstrate before people again, my power has no limitations. See, God's nature is boundless. And I think very often when we pray to God, we all have this conception of who he is. But recognize that there is nothing that we can bring before him that he is somehow going to be dumbfounded or confounded or strained to answer us with. It is built within his, and this word isn't even appropriate, DNA. Within the structure of who he is to be boundless. God is not bound by our sinful nature. You know, no matter what, I thought of this as I was preparing for this message. There are some times where I, I loathe myself because I, the sin that I commit. And I, I, I just, I hate it. You know those sins that you commit and you go to the Lord and the attitude of your heart is, Lord, if you'll forgive me for this, I'll never do it again. And then do you ever get so ashamed because before the day is over, Before the hour has passed, you do it again. There's an account in the book of Ezra that's always been so moving to me where, and I shared it a few weeks ago, where that's what happened to the people of Israel. And and, and Ezra in his prayer uses this phrase that has always just resonated with me so deeply. He says, you grant to us a space of grace. Or we could live and obey you, and we, we didn't. We forsook, and we did the same thing that we had promised not to. Sometimes I, and I go to the Lord, and I, I better understand, as Paul wrote, the older that I get, and the more times that, that occurs, when Paul said, I intend to do good, but evil is always present with me. You ever had a prayer where you're praying, and you're very, you're very sincere, and then sinful thoughts start encroaching upon you? I mean, they just begin to overtake you in your prayer life? God doesn't have those moments. God does not struggle because his nature begins to attack him. Like us. What about your emotions and habits? You know, some people want to make out God of the Old Testament, kind of like the Greek gods. You know, if you go back and read about the Greek gods and the pantheon that they had and you read their stories, um, the Odyssey and the Iliad, it's amazing because I don't know how those, the Greek people could have worshipped gods who were so emotional. I mean, they were just so driven by anger and, and, and other, I'm not going to get into all the other things that are, are inappropriate, but a, a lot of other emotions that just would well up within them and they'd respond. And I'd think, how could you ever worship a God who is given to their imperfect nature just because they have a little extra power more than you? God is not like that. You see, God is not only not influenced by his nature, but circumstances don't have an impact. Anything external does not affect God. See, I think sometimes in the mind of people when we pray, we think we can coerce God. You know, like, like God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set things up, and if I do this, this, and this, then maybe I can twist, your, your word says this, and so I'm going to kind of twist your, I'm going to live this particular way, and I'm going to do these particular things, and I'm going to try to coerce you and force you into acting. And listen, All human beings are subject to coercion from a higher power, from an equal power, from peer pressure, whatever it may be, from guilt. But listen, God is not coerced into action. You're not going to paint God into a corner and say, Lord, you said this, 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 and this, and I'm forcing you to act in this particular way. God doesn't work that way. You can't twist his arm. You can't guilt him. And listen to this, you can't deceive him by acting like a victim. can't do that. You know, today people have realized that there is a market for victimhood. 
I can look all sad and depressed and down and like the world has all been against me and I can accentuate certain parts of my circumstance and enumerate those things that make me look like this innocent person and I might be able to cause you to act in response to the picture I have painted of my life. Make you feel such sympathy. Oh man, I'm I'm telling you, have you ever before been so duped by somebody that it brings you to tears, their story, and you feel so compelled to act and you want to help them and perhaps you do. And then sometime later you learned it was all fake and that there were two parts to the deception. One was their story and two is your nature. You got all the feels going on and that caused you to respond in a certain way. God doesn't do that. God cannot be coerced. He cannot be forced or manipulated. God cannot be intimidated. Why is this important? Well, because a proper view of God will change how we act. If we really see God for who he is and his power, the way we act will be different. Because then the question becomes this, okay, we have this all-powerful God who is boundless by nature and who nobody can control or manipulate. No circumstance will compel him out of emotion to respond. None of that happens. So then the question would be this, upon what basis does God use his power? Or what does God look down and see and say, now I'm going to intervene? What is the controlling mechanism of God's power? Well, the Bible is very clear. It's love. The thing that steers God's power is love. Towards whom and what? Well, the Bible is very clear, and we talked about it on Wednesday night. It was a discussion that came up on Wednesday night. It's when people are empty and helpless. I'm amazed at my inability to empty myself. I'm amazed at the depth of people. What I mean by that is that there are often times where I, I have things inside of me that I don't even know are there, and that's, that's amazing to me. It's amazing that I can have certain Feelings towards people or things, certain resentments, certain bitterness that lie dormant for years. And I go to God and I say, Lord, I have emptied myself of myself. I am, I'm laying myself all out there. And then God will put his little finger on one of those things that is concealed down deep in my heart. And he'll cause it to reverberate through my entire being. I imagine whenever I had a tooth, I had my wisdom teeth pulled and I had dry socket. And man, I tell you, when the air hit that nerve, it hurt and controlled my whole body. Only time I've ever called a doctor in the middle of the night crying is a man saying, I need help. I need pain medicine. I'll do anything because the pain was so great. And yet what I have found that there are times when I have buried things so deep within me, habits, mindsets, biases, frustrations towards God or towards people. I have buried those things so deep and then I come before God and I think, Lord, I am broken. I am laying myself out before you and then God takes his finger and he puts it on that little nerve that I have buried so deeply and that pain that I am concealing this anger towards God or towards others begins to liven up in me and I cannot believe that I have buried it so deep and that God found it. I'm amazed at the complexity of people. What causes me to go? You ever learn things about yourself you didn't realize? Maybe something, somebody points out something about the way you, you function. And you say, man, I didn't realize it, but that's really true. I am that way. I didn't realize I was that way. God has this amazing ability to just touch the deepest part of us. And speak to us in this way that is just leaves you awestruck. You see, we, we have to have God's help to even be broken and helpless. 
Because they're deeply rooted inside of me is this pride. Where I want to think by my good works, by my good deeds, by my good living, by my good. I will cause good spiritual things to happen. But I can't. I won't. You see, because we have to, we have to lay out before me. At the ministry school, one of the teachers said something that, I don't know why it struck me so profoundly, but it did. It's very simple. But he quoted from the book of John, chapter 15, verse 5. We talked about it in a Wednesday night Bible study where Jesus said, Without me, he can do nothing. So on one hand of the spectrum, we have man who, that word nothing is very deep. Very deep. There's no end to that word nothing. And without God, you can do nothing. And on the other hand, we have Jesus repeating over and over and all through the scriptures, with God, nothing equal depth to the other. Nothing is impossible. What makes, so consider it like this. I guess this is where this comes from, this whole thought process, at least in my heart and mind, is I want something to happen in our church. We have all these lost kids, all these lost people. And I want them to be saved. And yet, God's in action over the past, what, 30 years of my life, 40 years? God's in action has distorted what I think God is capable of doing. Like, I know in theory God can save all of them in one night. I know that in theory. But I don't really believe it, truly. I'm really being honest with you. Like, I know it in theory that he can but I'm not going to say that I really, in my heart, believe it. I want to. I want to. But like Job, God's in action. Coupled with my sin has distorted how I view God's power. And so... We begin as people to strain and strive for everything we can do. How can we get a setting just right? What evangelist can we call that will just say the right things? What prayers can I pray that God would come and visit us? What testimonies can be offered up? What songs can be given? What evangelistic work outside of here can be done? And we... We, 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 we go over and we rotate and we think and we, we contemplate and we pray and we do all these things trying our best to figure out what we can do to cause God to act. And yet the reality is we can't do a thing. Nothing. I can't manipulate God in my prayers to responding. And that has left me over the past few weeks feeling so helpless. If I can't even, of my own power, offer a prayer that will be esteemed by God, what can I do? What can I do? And I suppose... realization of my inability is paralyzing and hurting me. I'm a fixer. I'm a doer. And in this realm, I cannot conceive words in a sermon that will, will bring power, convict lost people's hearts. I cannot, for those hardened hearts that sit in our church every week and refuse to seek God even when His presence is manifested among us, I cannot somehow, like God did to Lydia in the book of Acts, soften their heart 
For those who are struggling because they sought God over and over and over and they're growing increasingly frustrated and bitter towards God and they're blaming him subconsciously for him not saving them. I cannot reorient in their mind a proper view of what's going on. I cannot show them that it is not God's fault. It is not God's inability. It is not God's lack of desire. It is a deficit in them. But I can't, I can't create that inside of them. I feel a paralysis about prayer. I can't just, I can't just break myself in prayer, you know? No man can just, no woman can just say, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a good prayer today. You can't do that. Oh, you can cry, you can, you can convince yourself psychologically that you're having some euphoric experience. But I think God responds when we get to this place of abject humility. We recognize I am so helpless. And even my acknowledgement of that is insufficient to express my helplessness. And at the same time, in our humbled low state, see God for what he is, who he is. And see that God's power is so is only matched by perhaps one thing, and I say that not in absolute terms, but is unmatched only by his love. God responds to people who are broken. He, he tells us this of his own accord. We don't force it because we're broken. We don't force him to act. But God says this, I will be nigh to those who have a broken heart. I will save such that are as a contrite spirit. That's God of his own power and sovereign decree saying this. When I see a person is broken and contrite, and I am the determiner when they're broken. They don't get to say, Lord, I'm more broken than I've ever been. Now you've got to come. Lord, I've been more consistent in my prayer life than I've ever been. Now you owe it to me. You ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do? I told you I'm a planner. I like the appearance of control. There have been a couple of times in my life where I, I felt out of control. There was nothing I could do. I remember the day. Kathleen called me and told me about one of our boys having a heart issue. And I was at work. And for that car ride, I felt so helpless. What can I do? And all these thoughts went through my head during that little 20-minute car ride. What if they say there's nothing that can be done? What if I get a second opinion? And they say, there's nothing that can be done. And for that brief stint in my life, that 20-minute car, I felt so helpless. One of the few times in my life, if I'm being honest, that I felt that way. I, sh- I say that shamefully, by the way. But have you ever gotten to the place where you just say, I don't, I don't know what to do? You look at your children, you look at these, these people that are, are not in church and that they need to be and their life is a mess. And you love them so dearly and... You ever have those times where you just finally say, you know, I've tried talking to him and I've spent years thinking, you know, maybe I can slowly, you know, that's, that's always my natural approach. I think I'll slowly chip away at him, you know. That'll be my approach. I won't be abrasive and I won't be, I'll just slowly chip away at him and maybe eventually I can get to the center of that person and they'll, they'll turn and God will use it. And, but what if it doesn't work, you know? Like, what if your strategy and your tactic is your strategy and your tactic? And remember, 
Without him, you can do nothing. Your strategy doesn't matter. I'm not saying if the Lord's not in it. The Lord might be in it. It may be very well possible. But I'm saying if it's a conception of your mind, recognize it for what it is. Powerless. When God sees a person, and in his eyes he knows the deepest part of their being, they are absolutely helpless. The Bible says this, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Again, my marvel of God's power, and I know I don't even understand it, I marvel at his power and all the things I've described this morning. But what exceeds my marveling is the magnitude of love that he has with that power. You know, I think of people with power and people with love, I think of those things as opposites. Generally speaking, when you have somebody who has a lot of power, they're proud, they're, all these things govern the way they function. What amazes me about God is that he doesn't want us put together in good. He waits until we are absolutely, entirely broken. And then he says, that's what I want. This morning, God has infinite power. And it's been laughable, the attempt this morning to try to express it. Because he is so great. But this morning, I guess what I would say to us as we look to enter into revival next week. Let's recognize ourselves for what we are. Let's look at our attempts to get God's attention. I'm not saying we don't pray. I'm not, I'm not saying those things. But what I'm saying is this. Let's recognize that God is not going to be forced to do anything. God is his own being, supreme, self-existent, self-sufficient. And he'll choose to act when he so determines. But when God sees us broken, he regards it. He regards it. And that gives me great hope. We said on Wednesday night... The song, It Is Well With My Soul, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. He regarded my helplessness. Whenever Mary is praying in Luke chapter 1, she says, He has regarded the handmaiden of the Lord. This morning, I want to encourage you Ask God to help break you, to help empty you of you, and just wait on the Lord. You know, that's a thing that doesn't happen. Let me, I, I know I'm long this morning. I, I want to say this last thing. When you pray, I recognize circumstances in our prayer lives are all different, and there are times where they don't all look the same, and that's okay. But one thing I would encourage you towards is when you pray, wait. Pray and then wait. If God is who he says he is and he responds and the two-way conversation, what matters is not our part. He knows what we need. He knows what we want before we even ask him. But we need what he has. And we lack what he can provide. And if there's anybody that needs to do the listening and the waiting and the hearing, it's not him. Very often in my prayers, I'll have them so, I have so many things in my heart. I'll just say to the Lord, you know, you know, 
You know these things. And yes, I'm going to take the time and the appropriate hour to express all of them. But sometimes it's sufficient for me to say, God, you know, now I need you to respond. Speak to me. Show me. I want to encourage you this morning. God is all powerful. Let's go to him in faith. When God, when we see God's sovereignty, his his power for what it is, it'll have an effect on us. It'll increase your faith when you realize the powerful God that you serve. My boys once in a while will get really afraid of things that you shouldn't be afraid of. You know, like, I remember one time when the kids were really little, one of my boys, I don't remember which one, got afraid that a squirrel was going to come in our house and attack them, you know? And I remember thinking, you just don't understand, <laughs> right? Your conception of how the world works is not how the world works. And I tried the best that I could to express to them an accurate perception of how the world works. Perhaps God does that with us. And when he does, and you recognize, now listen, I think the fear, you know, the fear that people have all the time about everything. I mean, not just COVID. I mean, everything. People are afraid of everything all the time. I think if people had a proper conception of God, there would be a lot less fear in the world. Especially Christians. Especially us. Oh, I'm not saying don't be cautious. That's not what I'm saying. Prudent. That's not what I'm saying. But we would recognize and act upon the fact that nothing will come upon me without the Lord's consent. Nothing. You're not going to be a bad parent for a moment and then your kids just die. And God's going to say, well, if you would have... No, 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 that's not the way it works. God has all power. This morning, that power gives me faith and an eagerness to come before him and say, Lord... Help me. Help me. That's our message this morning. I hope that it would be an encouragement to someone here this morning.